she may even be related to me. We're not quite sure. We've been talking about doing a blood test. Uh, but when we, when we drive, um, when we drive long distance, um, go to Kansas City. Our son Joey lives in Kansas. He used to live in Phoenix. Is that I would always hope that she would split the driving with me. Inevitably, I would start the driving because I'm a control freak and I'm a better driver. But, and then she would nod off like Tim said. But then I would hand the wheel over to her when I could no longer keep my eyes open. And what really keeps me awake is sitting in the passenger seat for 10 minutes. Um, um, asking her questions like, why are you going 50 in, a, in the left-hand lane on I-25 and then I-70? And then when she hits the, the bumps on the side of the road, I wake up. So it's just, guys, it's just not worth it sharing the, the, the wheel with your wife. I know there's exceptions to the rule. Um, you can talk to me afterwards if there's any exceptions in your home. But, honey, I love you. But we've been making fun of your driving ever since the kids could make fun of you. Respectfully, though. <laughs> Respectfully. So tonight we've got, um, during, actually, during this weekend, we're going we're gonna to finish tonight at 8.30 and there are three different sessions, one tonight and two tomorrow morning. And tonight we're going to be talking about biblical reconciliation. And then tomorrow morning we'll be talking about biblical communication. And then finally we'll be talking about biblical SEX. And we put that at the end just to keep you around for a little bit. So we think it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Each session is going to consist of a teaching. Pat Brady is going to be opening the word with us in all three sessions. It will be followed with a uh, short break, about 10, 15 minutes. And during that break, we would ask you, if you've got questions on what was taught, if you would uh, write these questions down on the card. And is that basket for the questions, Pat? There's a little pink basket there underneath the clock. If you would drop the questions in there. And then after you do that, we're going to actually have a breakout. After each teaching session, a breakout. And there are questions that we want you to work through with your spouse um, during about 30 to 45 minutes of this breakout time. And Pat will give you further instructions on those times. Then you'll come back in and there'll be a panel. There's going to be three to, four couple, three to four couples up here. And the questions that you asked, that you wrote down, will be answering those questions. And it goes without saying that the couples that are up here are, they've been married a long time, but they're not experts. So, but we're, we'll do the best we can to answer your questions. Um, what else? We'll have you out of here at 8.30. I think there's eight or nine sitters upstairs. And uh, we're thankful because um, Bonnie was having a hard time finding them. But the other day, she was at 7-Eleven, and she, a bus unloaded with a bunch of people. And she, it was like four bucks an hour, right, Bonnie, to get these people in here? Did you end up doing the background check? You didn't do the background check. Cool. Well, let me, uh, let me pray, and then I'll invite Pat Brady up. God, we uh, bless you. We thank you that... Um, that marriage is, um, is your idea, and I thank you, God, that we see all the way back in the garden that you uh, created uh, man and woman to be one flesh, and I pray, God, that, um, that I know that this is, a, this is a late night, and we've got full bellies, and it's getting a little bit hot in here. Um, God, I pray that, that wherever these couples came from, maybe there were uh, some arguments on the way here, or maybe um, they're flying into town and not really spending time with their family. God, help us be um, present here today, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, teach us and instruct us 
And I pray, God, that our greatest desire would, to see, would be to see you um, glorified um, in and through our marriages in this church, and that it might be a great witness to those who are looking on, and that you would receive all the glory and the praise and the honor. And God's people said, amen. Dan, would you give me your pointer? Okay. Uh, I solve the driving problem. I just let Jolene drive, and then I just take naps. So uh, you should see this woman uh, drive a 43-foot RV diesel pusher down the highway, pulling a Jeep. Does it really well. So never had a problem with her. She's a great driver. So praise God for that. Uh, t- today we're going to just jump right in on the subject of reconciliation. So if I can get my dear wife to advance the slides uh, one more time. Uh, reconciliation is, is God's uh, tool to draw sinful people together. And there, there's no relationship more significant in life than your marriage. This is the closest, most significant relationship uh, in all of life. And what we hope will happen over the course of uh, this weekend is, is that relationship will grow and deepen and become more and more one flesh. Uh, reconciliation is a process of, of uh, not allowing sin to in any way impact our relationships in a negative way. Thank you, Dan. Let me make sure it's working. Yeah. Okay, there it is. We can see it. Okay, next slide, please. Uh, I want to begin by, by putting this, this, this session, the next session, and the session that follows it all in the context of the gospel. Understand that uh, following the creation and the fall, God is redeeming people. Uh, and if you read the, uh, the words at the bottom, God's design is that we will join his story and put him on display through our changed lives. And, and that's what this weekend's about, that God would so change us, God would so transform us that our lives and our marriages would radiate his grace and his glory. And so that's our hope, that's our prayer. Understand that this, this redemption comes to us because first we were alienated from God, but we're graciously accepted through the, the finished work of Christ. We were dead in our sins, and now we have a changed life. We once lived without hope, and now we have hope in a new world that is to come. Next slide. Uh, I, I want us to get this concept down. This is an incredibly important slide. A lot of people, and, and myself included, when I became a follower of Christ, I thought this is how the gospel worked. Jesus would come and join me in my life to make my kingdom better. It doesn't work that way, folks. Our goal is to become part of his kingdom and to be part of God's story. We often believe he joins us to make us and our kingdom work better. Not Not so. Uh, We want to believe that God, uh, we will always fail with that plan. We want to be part of his kingdom and exalt Jesus as king. And so that's what this process is about and what reconciliation exalts. So to begin with, we need to understand the place of sin in the human relationship and especially in marriage. The next slide sort of helps us grasp that. Uh, I, I developed this slide years ago, and think of each of these circles as a sphere of influence in your life and relationships. The most intimate, significant relationship is your immediate family, you and your kids. 
Uh, and outside that, it's extended family and friends like your parents, your, your uh, siblings, maybe your closest neighbors, whatever. Uh, beyond that, casual acquaintances, maybe people at work, people you went to high school with, that kind of thing. And then everyone else in the world who you do not know. The question that I want you to answer in your head is this. Do you have significant relationship difficulty? Do you need reconciliation with anybody in the outer circle? The answer should be no, I don't know those people, I don't spend any time with them. You move into the next circle, casual acquaintances, it begins to increase a little bit because we know those people, we've had some history with them, maybe uh, there has been uh, sinful interaction. We get into the next uh, circle, parents, siblings, you ever have any sin issues with parents and siblings? Uh, I did a lot. So uh, the reality is the farther we move into the circle, the more our sin is exposed. You get into the immediate family, and this is where our sin is really exposed because we're living, uh, and, and this, is, this is a function of time. The more time we spend with people, guess what is revealed? Sin. Uh, goodness as well, but mostly, well, not mostly, but our sin is revealed in these relationships and becomes evident to us. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Get a quick <coughs> drink of water. So, the point of this slide is to understand that <coughs> God, I believe, has put us into families for the express purpose of knowing and revealing and discovering our sin. And that's what reconciliation is about discovering our sinfulness so that we can grow to be more holy. The Word of God says, what? Be holy. For I am holy. And that's the process of growth and sanctification. That theme has kind of permeated this whole series that one of the great purposes of marriage is that we would grow in holiness. And as we grow in holiness, as we discover our sin, we reconcile our sin, we grow in holiness, our marriages and our families become more sanctified, more pleasing to God, and our relationship with God, you will see, increases and gets better as well. Next slide, please. So, how do we deal with sin? And I just want you to take a moment, and, and I'm going to have to read this slide to you. I so, I'm sorry that uh, some of the wording is small, uh, but it is what it is. These are three ways people typically deal with sin in their lives. We'll talk about a fourth approach in a minute, but oftentimes, and think about yourself, when sin has uh, arisen in your relationship, do you tend to suppress it or ignore it, maybe uh, withdraw to avoid the person that, that you have a, a difficulty with? Uh, you try to control by pleasing. Maybe you seek comfort and pleasure somewhere else. Uh, another way to deal with sin is to go around the problem, uh, try to continue to argue, try to control, convince, uh, and, and get the person won over to your side, your perspective. Uh, you try to fix the problem your own way. The third way is to escape, and this is really common as well. People can't resolve the problem, so they escape into social media, movies, hobbies, drugs, sex, whatever, uh, with someone outside the marriage, seek uh, to find relief from their pain. All of these uh, ways of trying to deal with sin and difficult relationship problems never work. They just compound the problem. If we move on to the fourth problem, and this is what we want to talk about, is to go through the problem in a way that uh, uh, is laid out for us biblically, to face the problem head on, to trust God and his resources, to accept his plan, and to persevere in the, in the path that he has for us. So let's move on. 
these are just, and again, you won't be able to read this. Oh, let me say this. We're going to email this power presentation to you. If you've given us your email, you'll get the copy of it. You'll be able to read these at your leisure, the charts and the things that we covered. But basically, uh, what this slide depicts is just some of the difficulties that come when we don't deal with sin in the right way. Uh, unbelief, doubt, pride, fear, anxiety, as opposed to the blessings that come with believing God, uh, trusting His promise, pursuing His goals, those kinds of things. So, uh, Following God brings blessing. Obeying God brings blessing in our lives, in our relationships. To deny that, to, to try to solve sin in our own ways, will only bring pain and suffering. Next slide. Let's talk about identifying our sin at this point. Next slide. Uh, understand that when sin enters into a relationship, oftentimes it builds up a barrier between you and the other person in the relationship, a husband and a wife. If we read the lines down here, every time I sin against another person, I put a brick up on my side of the wall. Every time someone sins against me, he puts a brick up on his side of the wall. Over time, we have this big wall built up full of bricks, and it says down here, I no longer know who is on the other side of the wall. I really don't care. And this is where bitterness and resentment create a lot of distance in relationships. Uh, so what do we do with that? How do we handle it? And well, we're going to read a passage of Scripture now from Matthew 18. And as I read that passage, I want you to ask yourselves these questions. Who is the master in your marriage? Who does the first servant represent in your marriage? Who does the second servant represent? And then how much was the first servant owed? How much did he owe the master in the second service? servant? How much did he owe the master? And then we're going to uh, deal with uh, what does this parable teach about forgiveness. So join me as I read it. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had taken, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not, sh and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him up to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, who's the master? Obviously it's God, correct? Everybody agree? Okay, who, in a marriage relationship, who would the first servant be? And then think also, who would the second servant be in a marriage relationship? Anybody got a good... Anybody who's never uh, been under a discipling relationship with us is not, you cannot answer this question. So, <laughs> anybody got a thought? 
Okay, the first servant in my marriage is me. The second servant in our marriage is my wife. So back to the account of the parable, how much did the first servant owe? Scripture says talents, millions, millions of dollars. The second servant owed what? Denaria, day's wage. So what the parable is showing us is, is the truth about our relationship with God and the sin burden that we owe against God as opposed to the sin burden we owe against another human being in our earthly relationship. Uh, and the difference is, of course, the difference between talents and denarii. And this parable is one of the greatest teachings in all of Scripture about the truth of forgiving uh, another person, and especially your spouse. Uh, I, I, I developed this. Next slide, please. I can't advance them with this. This is how we tend to view sin in life. Uh, w- when it's distorted by our own self-righteousness and pride. When I think of my sin before God, I can barely see it because I'm such a righteous, cool guy. But when somebody sins against me, it's, it's this whole big thing that occupies my mind and my life and I get angry with them and I try to figure out ways to get even with them. What this parable teaches us is just the opposite. Next slide. My sin before God is millions of sins. And my wife's sin against me is just a few things. And I need that perspective. God has forgiven me millions of things through the shed blood of Christ. And whatever my wife's done to me or vice versa, whatever I've done to her is is small potatoes, so to speak, compared to my sin against God. And so I need that perspective. I need to understand I have been given, forgiven so much by God. How dare I ever refuse to forgive my spouse? That's the teaching. Next slide. Forgiving sin. The process of forgiving sin in Scripture really lays out kind of a plan and and helps us understand that first and foremost, forgiving is to die to self and release an offender from your bitterness or wrath, which they may deserve. Giving the offender mercy as Christ, gives it to, as Christ gives you mercy instead of the wrath you deserve. I don't know about you, but I deserve, when I die, to go straight to hell. Were it not for Jesus Christ, I would go there. That's the gospel. Changing our attitude toward the offender when you realize how great God's love and forgiveness is toward you and offender. And understand this, forgiveness is a decision of the will. You'll hear a lot of people say, well, I don't, like, I don't feel like forgiving them. They don't understand this parable, and they do not understand the teaching of Scripture about forgiveness. Next slide. God explains various aspects of his command to forgive. When are you to forgive? In prayer. Whom do you forgive? Anyone you have anything against. Understand Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have what? Anything against anyone. That's all-inclusive. All, anyone who sinned against you, anyone who has uh, ever hurt you, they are to be forgiven. God explains various aspects of his command to forgive. How are we to forgive? As Christ has forgiven us completely, repeatedly. And so do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So we're simply sharing the gift with others that we've received. I've been forgiven so much by God. I'm called by the gospel and by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God to forgive anyone who would offend me or hold anything against me. 
What is God's response? What, what does he expect our response to be if we uh, choose not to forgive or if we choose to forgive? He forgives you in a fellowship relationship to him when you forgive others. In your positional relationship in which you are forgiven for every past, present, and future sin remains unchanged. However, your fellowship with God is definitely hindered when you do not forgive. Matthew six fourteen through 15 if, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, trespasses neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew six fourteen. We, we try to uh, demonstrate this with this slide. We have a positional relationship with the Father. Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins. Nothing will ever change that. I am forever through faith a son of the living God, and I will always be, no matter what I do in this life, if I'm genuinely his son. But I can break fellowship with him if I live a disobedient life. If I fail to forgive or if I choose to live continually in sin, I will break, break relationship with my father. It's a little bit like your children. You know, if, if your children, a child does something really bad and, and you try to teach them not to do that and they, they get angry and they, they uh, refuse to, to do what you ask them to do, you may break fellowship with them by sending them to their room for a while. But guess what? While they're in that room, they're still your child, right? Nothing changes that. That's our relationship with the Father. But we can, break, we, we can be put in a place of breaking fellowship with him if we refuse to forgive. How are we to respond to an offender who seeks reconciliation with daily forgiveness, repeated forgiveness, limitless forgiveness without judgment because love believes all things? Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins again against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. Okay, reconciling sin. What we want to teach you now is the process to actually practically put this into practice in your relationship, exalting God and finding a, a, a way to, to deal with the sinful barriers in your relationship that may be cre- creating distance between you. A lot of problems uh, are the result of sinfulness in our relationship. So we got to take that wall down. Step one is to identify <clears throat> the bricks, uh, an offender, and this really isn't going to relate to you as a couple, so we're going to skip down to step two, and we're going to deal with that tonight. This would be if it's a third-party person outside uh, uh, that's not going through the process with you. But we're going to actually have you do this tonight. So what we're going to ask you to do in a moment is to identify the individual bricks you may have placed on your side of the wall. And then meet with your spouse or your significant other here, uh, because some of you aren't married, and seek forgiveness for those. Confess those sins and ask for forgiveness. So that's the the third step, and then is to seek forgiveness from the Father for that. Next slide. So what this process looks like is is going through the process of of, uh, seeking forgiveness from someone you've sinned against uh, and waiting uh, after you've identified the way you've sinned against them, seeking their forgiveness and waiting for them to forgive you and then to confess your sins before God uh, because first and foremost, we always sin against God. Here's the steps we're going to ask you to walk through together tonight. Uh, We have 11 rooms over in Unit C, top and bottom. If you want to get away, create a little space. There's room up here. There's room out there. We we want you to sit down with your spouse uh, or your significant other and go through this process. Step one, start your sinless from memory. 
Pray before God asking the Spirit to bring to your mind any ways that you've sinned against your spouse that you can think about uh, that, that the Spirit of God might bring before you. This is all laid out in your handout on the first page, uncovering your sinfulness. The whole process is laid out here. So uh, if I'm going through it a little fast for the sake of time. But uh, So step one lays out here. Identify before God any way that uh, uh, you've sinned against your spouse. And we're going to ask you to do two sins tonight. That's, that's all we have time for. Find the two most significant sins that you can think of, and we'll walk through some helps in a moment, and, and practice the process. So when you go home, if there's anything else, you can deal with it. So between 8.30 tonight and tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, we want your lives all cleaned up and all reconciliation take place. I'm only joking. This could take a a process of several days, even several weeks. And Take what time is necessary before the Lord, but make sure your marriage is clean before God and clean before each other. You know, this series is, is about growing in oneness. And, and the, the scripture says, God made us male and female that we might become one flesh. The greatest way to become one flesh is to be sure that we've dealt with in a proper biblical way any sin that exists in our marriage. Okay, so identify prayerfully before God any ways that uh, you might have sinned against your spouse. Write them on a pad of paper. Step two, uh, there's a memory jogger outline. If you can't think of anything, we put about 50 things on the page for you to review. You have time to go through that. Check it out. Uh, I'm hoping you can find at least one or two things. Okay, Uh, use the list there to further develop your sin list. And obviously you can use this if there's other things in your relationship you need to deal with. Write them down in your own words as the Spirit prompts you. Add Add these to the first list. Next slide. Step three is to understand, and this is something that, that I, I, I don't know how to more strongly encourage you to do this. Understand the impact of your sin on your spouse. Uh, select the two most significant sins. We're just going to have you do two. We want you to do with those two. For each of these, build an impact list, and, and this is what the impact list is. Write the sin down, and then write out what the impact of that sin is on your spouse, Write out what its impact is on you and write out the impact of the above sin on your immediate family. If if you have marital stress and fighting in your home, do you think your children know that? Uh, Yes, they do. And so what we want to do is is through the power of God and through the gospel and through the word to remove as much as possible this kind of contention and difficulty in relationships. Your children will be blessed, but if there's fighting, you know, your children are aware of that. Write out also the impact uh, on God. So uh, sin two, next page or next slide would just do that with a second uh, uh, sin as well. When your list is complete, we want you to just look at your spouse face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, and go through a process, something like this. And I, I wrote out a couple of sins just to give you an example. And Jolene and I talked about this a little bit because of time. I'm just going to show you one side of what this would look like. Uh, I occasionally, and less now in my life as I grow older, get a little more patient, I have temper outbursts. Never at her so much. It's just at myself. And when things go wrong, I shared with you a couple months ago about a, a furnace thing I was working on and it didn't work and I got bent out of shape and I shouted and yeah, it was awful. Uh, so she had to listen to that. 
And she was impacted by that. I, I don't know what she thought, but I probably fight, frightened her. So I, I'm going to ask her for, my, uh, for forgiveness for my temper outburst. I frightened her. I said ungodly things she didn't need to hear. I, I showed a lack of true spirituality. I showed a lack of self-control. And those impact my wife. It shows her I'm not, you know, I'm not the man that she hopes I would be. I, I, I'm sinful at times. Uh, it shows to me that I don't trust God with situations. I don't trust his spirit to work in me to face difficulties and trials and, and, and allow him to use those trials to shape my character. I just blow up and vent my anger. Uh, so I don't accomplish what God wants to accomplish in my life through that trial. You know, he uses trials to mature us and strengthen us, uh, you know, not, not for us to have a, a little party venting our anger. Uh, it also grieves God by not trusting, not thanking, uh, uh, by not trusting him for these things, not thanking him for difficulties uh, and the pride, you know, just being pride, prideful. Uh, another sin is a, a sin of impatience. I don't know if any of you guys are impatient with your wife, but I am at times with mine. And so I need to seek her forgiveness for that. And it's not loving her unconditionally. It's not recognizing that she has things that God is asking her to do, leading her to do. And and I want to get her to do what I want her to do, not do what God wants her to do. So I interfere with God's work in her life. Um, I I make matters a whole lot bigger deal for me than her life and her relationship with the Lord. I'm not leading her in a proper way. So my impatience with her uh, diminishes her spiritual life and, and her walk with God. I show her I'm not fully uh, walking in the Spirit. I'm not exhibiting the patience that is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so as I ask her forgiveness for that, I, I need to identify those things. Uh, I need to show the Lord as well through this as well that I need to seek His forgiveness because I, I'm not walking in His Spirit, trusting His Word uh, and believing Him. So what we want you to do in the breakout time, which is going to happen just after a brief testimony here, is to sit down with these lists, this first part of your packets, try to identify a couple of sins in your marriage, uh, and see if you can go through this process and learn how to biblically seek forgiveness from your spouse or your significant person. When you finish that process, after you've have gone through the process, and what will happen when, when I sit down with hers, I'm going to say, dear, would you forgive me for my outbursts of anger? I know that they frighten you. I, I know that they give a, a very poor testimony. I say words and say things that I should never say. I'm going to ask her to forgive me for those things, and, and I, I'm going to recognize the impact it has on my life and my relationship with my father. And so I'll go through that, and, and when I'm done with that, then I want to encourage you uh, to understand, as David confessed in, in Psalm 51.4, after his sin with Bathsheba, he committed adultery with her, and then he murdered her husband. And when Nathan confronted him, he, he lays out his confession before God in Psalm 51.4, and he says this, against you and you only, God, I have sinned. David understood his sin was first and foremost against Almighty God. And we need to see sin in that light. You know, one of the the things that grieves my heart more than anything is is that somehow or another this idea of sin has taken on a horizontal dimension in our lives. You know, yeah, so what? I sinned against you. You deserved it. 
you, you tick me off or whatever. And so, so I'm justified in seeking revenge against you. We don't understand that first and foremost that sin is against God. And to be right with God, to be right in our lives, to be right with people, it needs to be confessed to him as well. So when you're done with each other, um, go through the process, name the sin, wait for a response. Yes, I forgive you. When you finish that process, then uh, by all means, uh, kneel, get on your knees, confess those sins to God. Father, forgive me for my impatience. God, Father, forgive me for my uh, outbursts of of rage and, and anger. Okay, next slide. Understand true repentance comes as a result of this. This chart, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but, but it does show the difference between remorse and repentance. So when you get the, uh, the uh, uh, PowerPoint, take a look at it. I think there's significant things there. Next slide. Uh, understand reconciliation should heal a relationship. So we shouldn't be bringing up the transgression or sin to the offender again. We shouldn't be dwelling on it. We shouldn't be gossiping about it. So this is a threefold commitment we encourage people to make once they've gone through the reconciliation process. The next step is to renew our minds. Uh, Understand that we have the power and the Spirit of God to be renewed in our thinking and to to not live and dwell on the sinfulness of, of, of our relationship once it's been forgiven. So if we tend to go back there, we can, uh, can catch that thought and confess it as sinful. We have the capacity, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, back, back up please, to be able to take captive every thought. Do you realize you have that power in the Spirit of God to control every thought in your head? Now that takes discipline, it takes spiritual work, but God has empowered us to do that. Either that or the Word of God is wrong. We can take captive every thought in our head That is the power of the Spirit. We can take them captive. We can recognize if they're sinful. Then if they are, we can confess that and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And then we can claim the Holy Spirit's power to overcome that. This is all, uh, uh, that document is is in your handout, uh, both the threefold commitment and this reconciliation. So you can work through this, think through this. It will help you from, uh, keep you from falling back into that kind of sinful pattern or that, Uh, allowing that sin to continue to bother you in your relationship. Okay, last slide. I think that's it. One more. Oh, uh, there's a few signs here of of, uh, what happens in people's lives when they fail to forgive. Uh, They struggle with obedience. They have uh, persistent anger, blame others. So uh, this list is, again, it's in the PowerPoint. You can refer to it as you have need for it. Uh, There's another page to it. Go ahead, next slide. And then uh, last slide. Breakout. Okay, everybody understand the plan. Spread out, go wherever you can, sit down, go through the list, see if you can find a couple to deal with and practice with your wife, your spouse. And we'll come back in 30 minutes. It's 10 after. Uh, We'll be back here. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to give you a quick testimony Um, at 20 till. Uh, What I want to share with you is the power of this process. When I went through seminary uh, almost 40 years ago, I took every counseling course I could take because I knew when I got into ministry, I'd be dealing with people who had marital problems. And so the first couple, three years, you know, my my office door was open and I met with couples struggling with marital issues and, and I employed all the tools I'd learned in seminary and all I, 
all I accomplished was to frustrate myself and frustrate them because there was never a way through what I'd learned, through what I'd been taught, to help people stop pointing fingers at someone else and take ownership for their own sins. We say this process is one where we take ownership, we take responsibility for our sin, and we deal with it in a biblical way. So I quit. I quit doing marriage counseling of all orders until 1995. We came across a situation where we had a dear couple in our church, and they were on the brink of divorce. They came to us, and they said, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna to give it up. So we met with him for eight weeks using all the techniques I knew because we loved him so much. And after the eight weeks, he stood up and he said, you know, uh, I'm more angry. I'm more angry after the eighth week of meeting with you than I've ever been in this relationship for, for several years. This is a couple that had been in 12 years of counseling with four different biblical counselors. They made it another year. By then we'd been trained in utilizing this principle, these, these tools, this biblical path to forgiveness they were on the brink of divorce again. Somehow they made it for a year. And, and she shared with Jolene that, that she'd already rented an apartment. And so uh, we said, you know, we've come across a new tool. Uh, might be helpful to you. Would you give us a few weeks to work with you? After eight weeks, they're sitting in my study laughing at each other and how sin had almost destroyed their marriage. They're still happily married today. And it's because they learned to take responsibility for their own personal sin, seek forgiveness from each other, and live a life that is characterized by reconciliation according to the plan purpose of God in his word. So be encouraged by that. This is a powerful tool if you'll learn to use it. Uh, we'll be around here if you need us. Uh, uh, Dan Hardy will be upstairs next door if you need some help over there. Oh, don't forget the cards. If you have any questions, fill those out. Take some with you, whatever. Um, put them in the pink basket for our Q&A session. Uh, so there's offices open upstairs in Unit C. There's offices open downstairs. Uh, John and Kelly will be downstairs. I'll be in here. Chris and Lori will be out in the, uh, in the uh, Welcome Center. So uh, if you have any needs, just grab one of us. Otherwise, we're going to be working out our own relationship issues. Okay, you're dismissed.